If we could have the PowerPoint up, please. Um, Today we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're looking at living a life worthy of God. So I wondered, what do you think that living a life worthy of God looks like? Um, Do you think it looks like this, being a monk, or maybe like this, Uh, being a nun, or maybe... Mother Teresa. Or maybe like this. At Jesus' baptism, God said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. When you think about these holy people like Mother Teresa, do you think I'm only human? I can't live a life worthy of God. I know the excuses. We're all sinners, it's just human nature. We can't help how we are. It's like the panda who walked into a restaurant and ordered a huge meal, ate it with great relish, then called over the waiter. The waiter came to the table thinking he was going to be paid, and instead of which, the panda pulled out a gun and shot the waiter. Then he got up and walked out of the restaurant. The manager of the restaurant was horrified. He chased after the panda, shouting at him, What do you think you're doing? He was a very brave manager. He said, You can't just walk into my restaurant, have a meal, and shoot the waiter and leave. Yes, I can, said the panda. In fact, I have to. I can't help it. That's what pandas do. What do you mean, that's what pandas do? Asked the manager. It's the way I'm made, said the panda. Look it up. See for yourself. And he walked off. So the manager went back into the restaurant, very confused. He looked it up in a dictionary, and there he found the explanation. Panda, an Asian mammal who eats, shoots, and leaves. We're not like the panda. We can change. The Christian life is supposed to be one of change, of a journey with God. Before we continue, I want to give you just a little bit of background because uh, it's been very disruptive over the summer and I know we've had some background, but you might have missed it. So Paul was on a second missionary journey with Silas and Timothy and they were working in the area circled. And while they were there, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia which is in northern Greece, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So they went to Macedonia, and they first stopped in Philippi. And that was where um, they met the slave girl with an evil spirit that Paul cast out and upset her masters because she couldn't tell fortunes anymore. Paul and Silas were thrown into prison. And uh, that night there was an earthquake. The jailer was saved. The next morning the authorities threw them out of town. So they went to Thessalonica. Are we at Thessalonica yet? No, not quite. Sorry, I missed one. And there Paul preached in the synagogue for three Sabbaths in a row. And some of the Jews who listened joined Paul and Silas, but others were jealous. They caused a riot, and they caused so much trouble for Jason, in whose home Paul and Silas were staying, that the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. But then some Jews in Thessalonica heard that Paul was preaching in Berea, so they went there and stirred up trouble. So the believers sent Paul on, and Silas and Timothy stayed behind. Paul escaped to Athens and later to Corinth, where he met Priscilla and Aquila and worked with them at tent making. And eventually, Silas and Timothy caught up with Paul and brought news from Thessalonica. And that was when Paul wrote his first letter to the Thessalonians. 
is there anything I can do to stop this? Sorry? Down a bit. Okay, let's try that. So Paul wrote this letter to the Thessalonians. And uh, he obviously felt it necessary to justify himself because he caused them a lot of trouble and he'd also run away. So in the passage, you can hear him doing that. And I'm going to, I'm going to be looking at verses 8 to 12, but I'm going to read it from the beginning of chapter 2. So if you want to follow it, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Um, follow it in your version if you want to. You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you. But instead, we were like children among you. Or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Let's just take a moment to pray. Father, we need your help to understand how to do this. And Lord, as I speak, I pray that you will take my words and enable me to help people to hear your voice. Lord, speak through me and help us to listen and respond, I pray. Amen. So, living lives worthy of God, what does it look like? Paul gave us some clues, and earlier in the chapter he said, our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. He said, we never sought human praise. So part of it is not to seek to please our family or our friends, not to please our bosses, not to please our husband or wife, although I think God's quite happy that we do that sometimes. Our purpose should not be to please our church leaders or even commission, but to please God. One day, each one of us will stand before him and we will have to give an account of the way that we have lived our lives. 
And we will not be able to make excuses. We will not be able to say, well, Joe asked me to do this, and so I did. Or that was the accepted thing at work. We need to please God and not people. The other clue that Paul gave was that he was hardworking. If we can work, we should work to support ourselves. God does promise to supply all our needs. And if we can't work for any reason, then he will meet our needs. He will supply our needs. But the general thrust through the Bible is that if you can work, you should. And supply not just your own needs, but be able to give to those around you. Then Paul also demonstrated a life of sharing. We loved you so much that we shared our own lives with you. He spoke about being both a mother and a father to the Thessalonians. And good parents lay down their lives for their children without expecting anything in return. This was not just a Sunday morning sharing or even a Saturday night sharing uh, in that context. It was a giving of Paul's life without any expectation of getting something back. So those are just a few clues that Paul gave when we think about what a life worthy of God would look like. God sets out standards for us in the Ten Commandments, but we don't always make it. A minister was walking down the street one day when he came upon a group of about a dozen boys aged between about 10 and 12, and they'd surrounded a dog, and he was a bit concerned about what they might be doing with this dog, so he walked over and asked them. And one of the boys replied, this is just an old neighbourhood stray. Um, We all want him, but only one of us can take him home, so we've decided that whichever one of us tells the biggest lie will win the contest and get to keep the dog. The minister was a bit taken aback, and he launched into a 10-minute sermon about you shouldn't lie, don't tell lies. He started with, don't you boys know it's a sin to lie? And he ended with, when I was your age, I never told a lie. There was silence for a while, and the minister thought he'd got through to these boys. And then the smallest boy gave a deep sigh and said, all right, give him the dog. (laughs) We can't keep all the commandments. But Jesus came up with two commandments that were considered the greatest. And the first, he said, was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The first and most important commandment is about worship, is about our relationship with God, about having that right, about it being first. It's about putting God first in our affections, loving him with all our heart. It's about putting him first in our desires, loving him with all our soul. It's about putting him first in our thinking, loving him with all our mind. And it's about putting him first in our doing, loving him with all our strength. Whatever we feel, whatever we desire, whatever we think, whatever we do, we should be putting God first. If you love someone, you want to spend time with them. You want to do what pleases them. You want to honor them. You want to do your very best for them. It means doing what's right before God, even when it's inconvenient. In a moment, we're going to watch a clip from a video uh, from the film Courageous. And in this, someone has been asked to lie on a report by his boss at work. 
So if we could have the lights down, please. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Mr. Martinez. How are you this morning? Fine, thank you. How are you? I don't know yet. Please, have a seat. I trust you've had time to think about our conversation yesterday. Yes, sir, I did. And what did you decide? Are you on my team? Mr. Tyson, I am very grateful to have a job here. But I cannot do as you have asked. And why is that? Because it is wrong, sir. And it would be dishonoring to my God and my family to lie on that report. Do you understand what this may do to your job here? Yes, sir, I do. Javier, may I shake your hand? Young man, you just gave me the right answer. I've been looking for someone to manage inventory and shipping, and quite frankly, you were the last person on my list. But I need somebody I can trust. Will you take the job? We'll adjust your pay. I would be honored to, sir. Good. Then the job is yours. Now, Walter will go over all the specifics with you, and I'll make the announcement to the staff on Monday. Congratulations, Javier. Oh, and Javier, thanks for your integrity. It's rare. Doing what's right before God, even when it threatens our security. There was a good outcome in the film. There's not always a good outcome, but we can trust God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In our careers, it's very tempting not to put God first when things get difficult. But we need to love God to put him first. That pleases him. That's the first great commandment. And the second Jesus answered with was, love your neighbor as yourself. So this is partly about how we treat others, but it's also about how we view ourselves. Some of you don't love yourself, or you struggle to love yourself. People have told you you're rubbish. People have said you'll never amount to anything. You'll never be as good as your brother or your sister. People have beaten the confidence out of you, perhaps. We need to learn to love ourselves because God loves us. God created each one of us the way we are. God created each one of you and loves you so much he sent Jesus to die for you. The writer to the Hebrews tells us that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. And you are all the joy set before him. For each one of you, Jesus would have gone to the cross for you alone. 
He loves you. It's important that you love yourself in order to fulfill the second great commandment because you need to treat others the way that you would want to be treated. God cares how we treat other people. Matthew 7, uh, Jesus said, Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. Whenever I hear that, I think of uh, the water babies and Charles Kingsley and Mrs. Do as you would be done by. Uh, Probably people don't read that these days. I'm not sure I ever read all of it. But it's such an important principle. How would you like to be treated if you were sitting at the checkout in Sainsbury's? Would you like someone to come? push their things through and say, yeah, yeah, that's great. I'll meet you later on. Yeah, that'd be really good. And not give you the time of day. Or would you rather they said hello, made eye contact, smiled at you and said, how are you today? A couple of months ago, uh, I was out with the town pastors and at the end of the evening, we put all the gear uh, away in a shed at the very bottom of All Saints car park. And I was coming out of the car park. Although I was very careful, I just clipped the back corner of my car against a car that was parked very badly, I might say, across the entrance. It was two o'clock in the morning. It wasn't a big bang. It didn't wake anyone up. I drove up the road a little bit till I could get out of the way and I looked at the back of my car and I couldn't see anything very much and I looked at the other car and I couldn't see any damage and it was very tempting. No one would have known who it was. But in the end, I left a little note with my telephone number saying sorry. And the lady, when she phoned up the next day, she was a bit angry with me. (laughs) When I eventually got through and managed to find enough space to say, but I didn't have to tell you, she said, oh, yeah. But it was tempting because no one was seeing, no one was looking but me and God. And God and I would have known ever after that I didn't do what was right. We had a thing going at Aldershot about changing the toilet roll. The toilets were not as grand as the ones we have here. And we had ordinary toilet rolls just like you have at home. There was always a fresh supply. And we used to say, when you have taken the last bit of paper on that toilet roll, do you replace the roll? It doesn't matter to you. No one else will see. It's only you and God that know. But God cares how we treat other people. And if you were the next person to go in there, you would want there to be toilet roll. We can be polite. We can honor each other. How we treat each other is so important that God doesn't want to hear our worship if we don't treat each other well. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, if if your brother's got anything against you, go and sort it out before you bring your offering. Deal with your relationships. Get them right. And the Old Testament is full of such instructions. Uh, In Amos 5, 
God's people are, are said to be taking bribes and depriving the poor of justice. And God says, I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious ceremonies and festivals. I won't accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps or even your guitars. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. In Zechariah, God says, Show mercy and kindness to one another. Don't oppress widows, orphans, foreigners and the poor. And in Micah, he says, what can we bring to the Lord? What kind of offerings should we give him? And he goes through a great long list. And he ends up with, no, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God cares how we treat each other. Each one of us is important and loved by God. And we need somehow to be able to express that love in our dealings with each other. A life that God considers lived in a worthy way is a life of integrity, a life of treating others well. This is a high standard. And it's good to know there's forgiveness. King David committed adultery and then had the woman's husband murdered. He was forgiven. Peter denied Jesus and he was forgiven. We can be forgiven and we should forgive each other as well. And the last thing to say is it's not about ministry. It's not about the things we do for God. Those are good and it's right that we do them. But when God said of Jesus, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, Jesus had not started his ministry. He had learned to be a carpenter. He had learned to be who he was. He had not turned water into wine. He had not healed the blind or the crippled. He had not fed 5,000 people. But God was pleased with him. A quote from Therese de Lisieux to end with. Holiness consists simply in doing God's will and being just what God wants us to be. Holiness consists in simply doing God's will and being just what God wants us to be. So just to go back to what Paul said, and I want to say this to you, I plead with you, encourage you, and urge you to live lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he calls you to share in his kingdom and glory. So I want to ask you, if you will, to stand with me today and pledge yourself to a life of worship and relationship with God. Pledge yourself to love God with all your soul, heart, mind and strength and determine to love your neighbour as yourself. Will you do that, please? Father, we fail you so often, and we're sorry for when we've failed, when we've let ourselves and you down, even when no one else knows. We ask for your forgiveness. 
But Lord, from today on, we want to live lives worthy of you. We want to honor you. We want to worship you. We want to put you first. We want to care for others in the way that you care for them. We ask, Lord God, that you will help us to do that. Lord, we know that we've been called to share in your kingdom and your glory. So help us to be the people you have called us to be, to live lives worthy of that. Thank you, Lord. Amen.